Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Listen, hear me out. Minecraft, but in real life. For those who aren't familiar with Minecraft, it's the best-selling video game in history so far. And while there's some zombie killing involved, Minecraft's really about world building, which is very much what our guest for this segment gets to do for a living. Ted Spade, landscape architect and founding partner of SWT Design, creates outdoor playscapes and parks and courts for sports too, that offer space for people to recreate, refresh and rest. Ted, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Good afternoon, Lang. So I summarized what I think you do in the intro. Here's a very simple question that might have a complicated answer. What do you say you do? Well, I am a landscape architect, and so when I usually am talking to people, and they go, well, what do you do? Sometimes they'll say, you know, what do you do in the winter? And I go, well, we're busy all year long, mm-hmm. so we're not working outdoors necessarily in construction. But we're a blend of like – if you take like an architect, a civil engineer, a sociologist, an artist, a historian – you know, and you put them in a bag and shake it up, out comes a landscape architect. So we're, we're, we're really, we really weave a lot of different things uh, in our profession. And some of us take different routes than others. And yeah. so my route has been more towards the parks and recreation side. Okay. And that parks and recreation, I mean, you have decades of experience in architecture and outdoor design. What led you into that, that bag, that mixed up bag? <laughs> And one that's not focused on making buildings, which is what sure. we sort of typically associate with architecture. Yes, very much so. I, so I'm very fortunate. In 1972, I think I was 11 years old, my dad said, you ought to be a landscape architect. Now, not many dads knew what a landscape architect was, even in, back in 72. Right. But he was an urban planner and urban designer. And so he knew I loved the outdoors. Mm-hmm. I loved art. I loved nature. And so... Luckily, I had my dad kind of put it all together for me, and I said, "Sure, Dad, I'll be a landscape architect." So I never looked back, and luckily, I found a you know a great architectural school that had landscape architecture yeah. in it, Kansas State University, and was able to uh, achieve my dream. And here I am. Mm-hmm. So, when I was reading up on uh, where you are, which is SWT Design, and you are one of the the founders there. I was struck by the tagline, living outside makes us more alive inside. So we'll be talking about outdoor spaces that are meant explicitly for play in a moment. But can you provide an example of something, Ted, that you've designed in a non-park space that exemplifies that, you know, outside making us more alive inside philosophy? Uh, yes. I mean, I think, you know, one of my... Um, projects um, is at Memorial Presbytery Church off of Skinker. And we have what's called the Chapel Garden. And I really feel like, you know, churches can kind of look dead outside, especially old churches, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, but yet inside the church is a lively congregation of people. 
but yet you don't know it, you know, when you see an old Gothic looking church. And so we did this beautiful, you know, um, uh, sculpture play garden with a giant, you know, 15 foot granite carved lion from a local artist that's six foot tall. And it's just whimsical. It's, it's peaceful. It's activated. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of that inside outside you know bringing that life to a outdoor space uh that was once dead it was just it used to be a trash dumpster and an asphalt parking lot okay well that's very different then have you seen pictures of people on top of that oh yes okay oh yes <laughs> <laughs> now i'd like to invite our listeners to the conversation what are your thoughts about our region's green spaces in particular which ones do you frequent and what makes them go-tos? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpr.org. Let's talk about the tale of two b-ball courts. <laughs> now, SWT Design, you've designed many of the best green spaces in the region and, and one that people with kids or people who love animals may not realize that they've experienced as several refreshed areas of the St. Louis Zoo. Then there are two projects that may be your most talked about public projects, and these are the, the basketball courts coming to Tower Grove Park and Forest Park. So let's get a little bit nerdy about green spaces, parks, and rec. So if you can believe my short self used to play basketball, I can pretty well draw a basketball court, but what you're doing is on a wholly different level. So, Ted, what's special about designing basketball courts? Well, I think when it comes to parks and recreation, we talk about active recreation and passive recreation. And many of the parks, like Tower Grove Park and Forest Park, have both. Um, and so it's, you know, one of the things that go into it is how do you weave something that is um, kind of mundane looking, right? A big giant piece of pavement and you know basketball goals how do you weave it into a park-like environment that is inviting uh to uh, all ages and all people mm -hmm. and feel welcoming and so um both of those projects are are meant to be you know very welcoming to people and so it's not just the basketball court it's all the you know the accompaniments that come with those spaces mm -hmm. both uh uh from a useful standpoint, but also from a beauty standpoint. Yeah. How do we weave those things in? So that's that's very important how we think about design. So are we talking like benches that would go around? Yeah, it's it's it, I mean that's part of it, right? It's you know, it's you know in this day and age people have cell phones and they run out of power and so they want to have a place to plug in their phones. Mm -hmm. There there's uh there's a seating that may not look like seating, like it's a seat wall uh, that fits into the visual environment a little bit better. Uh, it's social spaces. Uh, it's providing shade, uh, stormwater management. You know, it's like mm -hmm. all those things. Like people think you can just put down a piece of pavement. You can't. Right, you, we right. have to deal with water quality and stormwater mm -hmm. management. So there's a lot that goes into those yeah. things. Now, most folks can probably imagine you know, the challenges of designing for a zoo. And it involves making spaces comfortable that are not just comfortable for guests, but also for the animals. But it's also very likely to be something, you know, zoo visitors don't think about much because the zoo isn't new, right? Even if certain areas within it have been updated. And so these courts are, are different in many ways, starting with a lot of folks 
with a lot of opinions about the courts, you know, where they should go, how they should be built, why they should be built in the first place. So what you've been tasked with as a designer is not as simple you know, as pouring some concrete and putting up a bunch of hoops. Now, Tower Grove Park just broke ground for its basketball court on June 16th. Before reaching that point, Ted, what all had to be considered before making way for for hoops? And you've mentioned a few of the things like, you know, water and that sort of right. thing, but what had to be considered there? Well, I think in the case of Tower Grove Park, that, that was a project that started, you know, well over four years ago with master planning of the entire park. And as many people know who have been to Tyro Park, it's on the National Historic Register. And so that is unique from the standpoint that that we had to respect the kind of the historic context of the park. Um, so having things that might be really vibrant and flashy and modern um, you know, would not necessarily go in a in a you know Victorian park right. uh, that's gardenesque. So, so in that case, you know, we're using materials and being very, um, we're, we're not being really flashy mm-hmm. with that space. Right. You know, whereas you know, in a place like Forest Park, we we don't have quite those kind of uh, guardrails, if you will, yeah, uh, to be thinking about. But both of them in common have stormwater management, and so thinking about how do we uh, provide, you know, water quality. How do we think about nature and biodiversity? So you'd mentioned the zoo. Yeah. You know, we're always thinking about, you know, animal comfort and, and creating biodiversity. So uh, all of our park projects, we we look to creating landscape environments that are not only performative from an ecological and stormwater management standpoint, but also from human health and well-being and also for the benefits of the animals that we want to attract. Mm-hmm. Human and other, otherwise. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> We're speaking with Ted Spade, who is a landscape architect and founding partner at SWT Design, and talking about designing for green spaces, outdoor spaces. And on that note that you had made about Tower Grove Park and how it is different from Forest Park, um, what were some of the other sort of design needs um, you know, the process and maybe what patrons wanted at, in Forest Park specifically? Well, I think in any park project, we go through uh, various forms of public engagement. And whether that is through social media or on-site you know, social engagement, where we call intercept strategy of social engagement, we would go mm-hmm. out to community centers and meet with the, the kids and, and the families that are playing basketball and, and you know, talk to them about what do you, what would you like to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's quite often we'll do public engagement and we show different options and what we might want to show and what do you like, what do you dislike, and then try to synthesize those designs from whatever we hear from the public, both in the digital form or in personal engagement, and and really try to weave in those comments, you know. We can't we can't solve all the problems, or we can't sure. solve everything. But I I feel like you know as a, any good park plan and park design should start by listening to the public first. Mm-hmm. And is that a an approach that you feel like people are kind of getting more used to as well? You know, it's been happening for decades. So I I, I maybe maybe if anything, 
is we're reaching a broader audience through social media and with I mean one of the positive things of COVID is is we've been able to reach people beyond just public open houses. Right. And and so that social engagement that incurs in the digital world uh, is just another way to, you know, uh, really create a more robust uh, uh, engagement. Yeah. So with that engagement, then you lead, it, it hopefully will lead to creating some cool spots. Now, while we've been following progress on the basketball courts at Forest Park and Tower Grove Park, we've picked up a good bit of uh, information about considerations that are necessary to designing parks, playgrounds, and green spaces. What is an aspect of park design that is just basic, very routine for architects, but seems to surprise the casual park goer? Mm, that's a good question. I think a really good aspect is is recognizing we have four seasons mm. and 12 months a year. And how can that park be enlivened in all of those seasons? Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot about, you know, the multi-seasonality and the multi-sensory aspect of parks. Okay. And I, I don't know if, like, it's an aha moment for that casual user, but what it does is it, it evokes and creates real strong memories and makes them want to come back time and time again. But, mm-hmm. And they might not know that, okay. but that's what we try to try to do. Is there an anecdote or like an example that you can share of something, maybe for winter, for example? What is something that's part of sort of the designed environment that gets into people in that way and enlivens? Well, I think, you know, I'll... I'll there's a couple of things. One is I think about Art Hill. We did Art Hill. So all the work up in front of the art museum uh, is definitely everybody recognizes Art Hill in the wintertime, especially yeah. when it snows, oh, yes, right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> and and I, I think the, you know, the textures of plant material and the color of plant material in the wintertime is making sure we have plants that have lots of red berries, you know, things like winterberry holly and that they catch your eye or even beautiful poetic masses of ornamental grasses. And, and, you know, I think, you know, our projects, uh, some people may know in, in Webster Groves, there's a little sculpture park uh, garden at Kirkham. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just a delightful space in the wintertime. Uh, and to see the snow on the sculpture and the snow on the stone walls, it's just, to me, I love going out in wintertime after snow and taking photographs. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and people just delight in that too, of course, but they want to go sledding or, or make a snowman. Right. Or enjoy the photos from the warmth of inside. <laughs> enjoy the photos, that's right. Now, designing green spaces means that you need to be knowledgeable about trees and dirt. And you talked about grasses and that sort of thing too. How do you know where to put a tree or where a hill needs to be created? And you know, does psychology or like just pure intuition play any part in designing certain kinds of green space? Uh there is intuition, certainly, but I think there's a lot of science involved in it. And so there's a lot of experts that I call upon, whether it's people I've known over the years, the Botanical Garden, or people that are foresters. And uh, I got my start at the Missouri Botanical Garden on the grounds crew. And so I think mm-hmm. having a deep knowledge of that plant and making sure it's the the right plant for the for that space. So a lot goes into it. Like you said, it's like the soils could be really, really wet, so we need to make sure the trees and the plants that we select can handle those wet conditions. 
or vice versa if it's very, very dry. So it's understanding the the natural ecology that those trees and shrubs want to be in mm-hmm. and, and selecting the right plant for the right location. Yeah. Now, you have been involved with, you said before we started this segment, the design of over 1,000 parks in the region. That's mind-boggling. Can you give an example maybe of when you've set out to do something and you have the best plans made, for example, with uh, the natural materials that you want to use, and then when you got to the part where you were actually implementing that things had to be tweaked? Well, it it happens on every project. You know, I think, you know, it's, it's you know, I see our work as is partially kind of constructed and and very engineered, but then there's this artistic side of it. And so many of our parks, you know, we're working right now on on, uh, this new Brentwood Destination Play Facility, and Mm -hmm. we've sent out one of our team members to go out to basically a giant stone yard to pick out the right stones mm-hmm. uh, for a spray ground. And, and then I'm sure we'll be there when they're pos- being positioned to make sure they're located just right. So, uh, and then we encounter things that were surprises during construction that we have to maybe pivot mm-hmm. from a project on. What are some surprises that have come up? <gasps> oh my. Um, I think uh, one of the surprises, uh, we worked in a, a project in Indian Camp Creek Park out in St. Charles County. Mm-hmm. And there, I think, uh, you know, one of the surprises uh, that we encountered was just the sheer erosive nature of the soil mm-hmm. uh, there. And and so we had to kind of redesign a shelter that could actually be portable and slide. So at, we wanted to have this kind of hilltop shelter overlooking the river valley mm-hmm. and and as the river continued to erode away the hill we had to make sure that the 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 pavilion could be slid oh. and, and moved as uh-huh. it eroded so that was a that was an interesting solution to the <laughs> rough problem it, it sort of is recalling when we were talking about minecraft earlier um building things that uh that you you need to be able to work around or or work with given the environment Right. Yeah. Now, we recently had uh, environmental journalist Kelly Smits on the show, and she talked about the extreme heat that our region is experiencing. And she said parks serve a crucial role in keeping things and people cool during heat waves, and that over time, the number of quality parks has dropped. Has that phenomenon changed the way that landscape architecture is done? Not really. I think what it's done is it's brought us to the forefront. Uh, we've been talking about urban heat island and the need, the important needs of our parks being kind of the lungs of our city. Uh, and this dates back well over 100 years ago, you know, when Frederick Olmsted worked on Central Park, needing that space in the middle of New York City. And so uh, Forest Park, you know, is is kind of a, a, a cousin of Central Park mm-hmm. in terms of needing that. And so I, I will say that I believe the general public is becoming more and more engaged and aware of the importance of uh, air quality, mm-hmm. heat, you know, and, and really, you know, quite frankly, I hope all your listeners demand better parks mm-hmm. and our politicians need to hear that yeah. because you know it's 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 the lifeblood of our communities uh, and it's our 
it's our identity in many of our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Now, you were talking earlier about Brentwood Park Destination Playground, and it has a purpose mm-hmm. that goes beyond play. And I think this this very much is connected to environment and that sort of thing. Tell us about that function. Um, it's a beast of a project. It looks awesome, but it's going to do something that's really important. Yeah, it's 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 really it, it's doing a couple of things. One is, you know, parks can be an economic catalyst to a community, and so Brentwood, the city of Brentwood, sees the the Brentwood bound project and the destination play facility as a way to invigorate their economy and redevelopment. Uh, but then attract people to the community and and want to stay in place. So, the particular destination park is really trying to serve all age all age groups. Really creating something that is multi seasonal, multi sensory, uh, speaks to the Deer Creek watershed mm. and the the two other tributaries that go through Brentwood. And so, there's an educational component, but there's also this kind of really place making strategy of like enjoying the the deer creek like i think so many people are scared of flooding and creeks we got to make them uh important places and not a place to just like turn into a concrete channel right right now tower grove park we had talked about earlier they've already broken ground um on the new courts so it seems like it's safe to say that those hoops going up is sort of finally in sight and as for Forest Park, its next advisory board meeting about their basketball courts happens in mid-September. Can you share some of the refined design plans that you've been working on since the last Forest Park meeting back in March? Well, it, it, it's it's really unchanged. I mean, I think when, when you look at the, the materials that were provided by the city uh, at step six, they call it, for the advisory board, so really what happens between step six and step nine, this next advisor, it's really the refinement of it. Uh, so I don't want to bore your listeners with with all the structural, you know, pavement issues that we're doing and the under drainage systems and things like that. So so I'm, I'm hoping the people that would go and, and see the next step will say, oh, we're delivering what was shown at, at step six at, mm-hmm. that, at that those previous drawings. So it, it will look virtually unchanged. It's just the devil's in the details. Now. Yeah. Is there a particular detail that will be a little less devilish and something that people you think will be excited by when they see? Um, not not really. I think I think what we've presented in the past is what's going to be delivered. Mm-hmm. And so I think social seating is important. We want this to be a, a place where, where you know people can enjoy and watch their friends play basketball and hang out and enjoy the space. So I will say, from that standpoint, it'll be unlike you know many facilities in the region. Ted Spade is landscape architect and founding partner of SWT Design. Ted, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. This episode was produced by Maya Norfleet. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. 
Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.